All right, here I am. Hi, y'all. My name is Jennifer Huddleston Kelly, and I am an alcoholic. I've been kept sober since December 5th of 92. The Frisco group is my home group in Frisco, Texas, and my sponsor is Cindy M, and she even knows about it. So we're 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 cooking with gas up in here. Ralph said one of my favorite people is here, and I just automatically assumed it was me, and then thought, well, there's a lot of other people here. Maybe I should slow my roll. Um, it is always intimidating to follow Holly. She's one of my very favorite people. Her grace and her enthusiasm is almost unmatched in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just love her guts. So, um, but I'm, and now I get to tell just a bunch of embarrassing stories because I, um, that's just what I do. It's just what I do. I, and I would rather, you know, share some highlight reels about how I have grown, but typically I share the ways in which I have drugged my feet and dug in and the consequences thereof because I did not get rendered white as snow. Um, and I still sometimes think I know what's best. And I often find out I am wrong. So I do that fifth step and um, and I and I walk away with some ideas about the things I find objectionable. Actually, uh, the first time I did a real fist step, I did I did a fist step before, but I had done a very incomplete fourth step, and so I didn't get the relief promise because I left out more than two thirds of the inventory, and I didn't even know it. Um, but it became apparent. <laughs> <laughs> pretty quickly that I had not completed that inventory. And so I went back with a sponsor and, and took an inventory out of the book and did all three sections. Um, and we, and I shared it with a sponsor and, and I felt so free leaving that sponsor's house. It, we did, we did my fifth step in two sessions and, um, by the time I left, I felt a hundred pounds lighter. And for me, that's, that's about my goal weight. So I felt really light and um, happy and free. And I was laughing and crying and I'm driving home. My sponsor at that time lived in Fort Worth. And, um, and I just got so excited about life in general that I thought there was an exit and, and there wasn't. And so I drove down into a bar ditch and, um, and I'm laughing and I'm crying, thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. And it just hit me that um, that I would die without a secret and that it was the first time I could remember not having a secret. And, oh, my gosh, how cool is that? But one of the things that came up, and there were several things that came up in that fifth step, but there was sponsors are so funny to me because the things that I think I'm going to get my butt handed to me over my sponsors usually like, yeah, yeah, that happened. You know, it's not a big thing, but then there are these things that I just casually mention, just casually mention some little thing, just the little thing. And all of a sudden she's like a dog on a pork chop, just and, and will not let it go. I mean, I'm trying to, distract her and throw the tennis ball and look over there and you think that's good let me read you something else and the thing that this sponsor got really locked and loaded on is that I have this hobby I I should not say I had I have this hobby I like to gossip 
I mean, it's just, it's news. And I like being the person who knows stuff. And, um, and I think, and I tell the stories in such an entertaining way that, uh, and I just thought it was kind of fun, you know, just one of my little quirky things. And um, the sponsor I did that fist step with was like, tell me more about this gossip. And um, I'm a dumb dumb uh, because I just keep, I just keep talking and uh I said, well, after I, at my home, old home group, um, after I started going there, they put a big sign up in the kitchen that said gossip kills, like a giant banner all the way across the kitchen. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I mean, it's involuntary manslaughter. I mean, it's not like murder one, because I still think this is funny. I think it's cute. And um, my sponsor does not. And so she hones in and she says, well, do you sponsor women? I said, of course I sponsor women. And she said, do they do inventories with you? And I said, of course they do. And she said, and so they trust you with things that they haven't told anybody else. And I said, well, yeah, but I wouldn't share fist step information. And she said, how would they know that? And all of a sudden, this thing that I thought was kind of cute and kind of funny I now see as something that stands in the way to my of my usefulness to God and to to my fellows and and it's not cute and it's not funny and I and I want it gone and um and I want it gone yesterday and I'm really embarrassed and ashamed about it and so I did what a lot of newcomers do I started removing my own character defects now you will note that nowhere in the text does it say I give a, you know, I, I kick my own habit because um, I have a zero success rate, rate with that. Um, it says I'm supposed to give this to God. And, uh, but instead I'm going to fix it myself. Thank you. Cause I, I got a time frame I want this fixed in and that's yesterday. And so I finished that four step, I think on a Thursday. And then on Friday, it was my, that's my night when I go out to the meeting and then I go to dinner with all my friends after the Friday night meeting. And y'all, I, I do that. I go to my meeting and all the way to the restaurant, I say to myself, I will not gossip. I will not gossip no matter what. I will not gossip. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not gossiping. And I sat down and my butt had not even hit that chair before somebody said, did you hear about such, such, and so, so. And I'm just like, oh no, oh no. And I just start, we were at a Mexican restaurant and I started eating chips and I ate and ate and I ate the chips and I ate the hot sauce and I ate the tortillas and I ate my meal and I ate half of your meal and I ate the tissue paper in the basket with the chips. I ate everything because it's all I could come up with not to gossip was just keep your mouth moving. And I, and so I did. Um, forgetting that gluttony is one of my character defects. I know I hide it well. <laughs> anyway, um, and so I, like, I didn't say anything, and they kept bringing up the women and the men. I mean, a lot of the guys go, I don't gossip. Yes, you do, because you're some of my best sources. I know you do. You just tell me so that I'll tell everybody else so you won't look bad. But anyway, I am. Um, I managed to make it through that meal and I leave and I'm like the rat in Charlotte's web after he's gone to the 
to the fair, I am so stuffed. I am stuffed up to my eyeballs. And I, y'all, I almost broke my own arm congratulating myself at how I had fully recovered from this gossip problem in less than 24 hours because I'm a quick study. And then I got in my car and I absolutely character assassinated every single one of those losers who had been at dinner. I mean, I don't even know how they stay sober acting the way that they do. And that's what I do. When I'm removing my own character defects, suddenly I feel qualified to judge you. And I set down one character defect and I pick up two or three different ones. It's just, I'm just, it's just the shell game. I'm just moving them around and I'm picking a different one for today. And I mean, I've been doing this for as long as I can remember. I, uh, I developed a little gambling habit and, uh, and that got too expensive. So I got a booty call and I think I've solved the problem. I mean, it's just tacky. My solutions are tacky. And, um, and what I'm really supposed to be doing is growing up. And instead, I'm just finding different pacifiers, if I'm really honest. And more than that, I'm finding new weapons. Because, see, that's what my character defects are. They're weapons. And I don't think of them that way. But if I'm really honest about it, it's what I use to keep a little distance between me and you. Just a little distance. And yet my solution is love and service. And if I've created a little distance between me and the people I'm supposed to be loving and serving, I've, I've got a little distance between me and, and my solution to alcoholism. And that's not going to work for a drunk like me. So I'm listening to speakers talking about um, six and seven a little more carefully because I don't, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I took my hour and um, and I and that's always what I was taught to do. I take my hour, I review my work. I you know if if I'm willing to have God remove them, sure, check, say the prayer, start the eighth step. I mean that's what I did for years. But what what didn't happen was I didn't change in any profound way. As a matter of fact, it was kind of like I took my character defects and I put them in a box in the garage and I labeled them. <laughs> But I kept, you know, I kept them. I didn't get rid of them. I mean, I might need them later. Um, or I put them in a different place or I set them aside momentarily. But I didn't want them taken. Not, not, not really. Because for me, that just felt irresponsible. I mean, the, these are these little shortcuts that I take. Uh, I used to call it my Swiss Army knife of bad behaviors. <laughs> and when things get uncomfortable... I want comfort more than character. Ugh. I hate talking about these steps <laughs> because it just nails me to the wall and I have to tell the truth about it. And so uh, I'm listening to a speaker talking about six and seven and he says this, the essence of step six is stop doing what you know is wrong. And the essence of step seven is start doing what you know is right. And I'm here to tell you from my personal experience, first, I got to stop doing what I know is wrong before I even am capable of doing what is right. And sometimes there's a gap in between. Often there's a gap in between the stop doing and the start doing. Because I don't have a substitution. One of the reasons why I've done these things is I don't know how to participate socially. 
And so, um, and it's still really obvious. Like I am the queen of awkward. We either, I, I can't really chat. I'm not good at that. So I either act like a buffoon or we get inappropriate or we get really, really real. Um, but this whole, how's the weather? I, How are your children? I mean, that requires a degree of care about other people. Oh, that's hard for me to muster. I'm not great at it. I'm really not. Cause then I'm like, that was a dumb thing that, you know, I get up in my head and, and I just feel really weird. And so even now, sometimes in social situations, you see me wander off. I now like dogs, which has become very helpful. Cause when I get really self-conscious, I'll go talk to somebody's dog and get a little break. Um, but I didn't know what to do when, if I wasn't gossiping. I didn't know what to do if I wasn't talking a little smack or sharing a little secret or judging somebody something. And um, and that's why I got to invite God in over and over and over again. But on top of that, I also get to copy off your paper. Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place I've ever been invited to cheat. Like I can watch you and do what you do and I don't have to figure it out by myself. And so I start watching people who seem to be able to navigate these situations that seem real sticky for me. And um, and so I watch people handle gossip different ways. One of them, one of my, the first times that I was really aware, somebody was, we were standing around, we had a meeting where you did two 10 minute speakers a break and then the main speaker. And that's in, in the little break, that's when we would squeeze in, you know, 10, 10 minutes of good gossip. and. So we're standing out in the courtyard eating cookies and talking about people. And um, and somebody started in on, well, did you see? But da, da, da. And, and I'm like, oh, here we go. But this friend of mine said, well, you think that's something? Let me tell you a little bit about what I did. And she tells this really funny story on herself. And we go back for the main speaker. And we're halfway through that main speaker. And I realize she totally changed the subject and nobody even noticed. Like that was one of the most efficient getting us off of the thing we weren't supposed to be talking about and pulling the attention back to somebody who was standing there and really okay with us chuckling at her, you know, at her missteps. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could do that. Fun fact, I can. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm super duper good at this because um, so far, if somebody tells a dumb story, I can almost always beat it or I can tie. And so, uh, and I'll take a tie. That's how you know I'm sober. So um, I learn a new tool. And that's the thing that starts to happen to me is when I set down the, the weapons and I'm willing to be a little bit uncomfortable as I'm learning, then I get to pick up a tool. See, those weapons separate me from you, but what, what do we do with tools? With tools, we create and repair. And that's really the kind of life I want to live, the kind of life where I'm using spiritual tools to create or repair the damage that's done. And, and so I, um, and I'm not going to tell you that I have fully recovered from gossip. I have the gift of discernment. I am actually the reality of it is um you know i i'm a little more direct than i used to be and so i don't 
necessarily need to try to get you on my team if I'm uncomfortable with something. I can go back to the party involved and we can talk things through. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen because I have avoided that like the plague for a long, long time. I, um, I've been reading been reading uh, Emotional Sobriety, Bill's essay. It's it's hard. Uh, I'm, I'm reading it one paragraph at a time and kind of journaling my way through it this month. And, um, and so I start with, you know, what is this idea of maturity? Physically, I understand. But this mental and emotional maturity, I don't know a whole lot about. And, um, and what I realized as I began to write about it was that I have spent a whole lot of time at the, um, at the emotional kids table, um, reserving my right to throw a tantrum or be manipulative or whine until I get my way. And um, and it's weird. I've also struggled with self-esteem. Hmm, I wonder if those two things are connected. See, I only saw the downside of growing up. And it was that, you know, you'd have to pay your taxes every year. I mean, that just seems unreasonable. And um, and you'd, you'd need to have these grown-up conversations and you'd need to take responsibility for yourself. And all I saw was just the idea of this, these negative and confining things. What I never considered was that I might be able to look in the mirror and, and kind of like who I see, that I might gain a little self-respect. And once I had a little self-respect, I might be able to carry myself in the world a little differently. Maybe I could look up. Maybe I could enter a room unashamed or unafraid. Maybe I could do the things that I think God would have me do because I'm no longer feeling like I don't even fit in. Maybe there's a lot of benefit to being mature. And I'm going to need some help with that. I mean, I'm going to need some help with that because, you know, I think it's a big deal that I no longer pinch people or curse at them. Um, And there's still just a lot of that. I put a little English on stuff. You know, I'm just not all the way honest. And I've struggled with that for a long, long time. And, and here's one example. And I really hate telling this story, but I have to. Um, I have been a thief since I had pockets. I mean, as soon as I had little Oshkoshes, I was putting stuff in my pockets that I did not pay for, nor did anyone know that I had. And um, I mean, I've never been like a big time shoplifter because I'm not particularly brave. So it's just this little ticky tacky stuff that I do. It's um, <laughs> it's stealing the plastic lobster from a hotel room I was in one time. It was a really tacky hotel. But I mean, it's just dumb stuff. It's just dumb stuff. It's little nail polishes. And I mean, just dumb stuff. And um, and I've, I've always been really embarrassed at that. Like I go to work and there's leftover pizza and instead of humbling myself to say, Hey, can I take this pizza home? Somehow I'm trying to figure out how to sneak a pizza out. And it's just embarrassing. Um, 
And I'd like to tell you that went away when I got sober. I'd like to tell you that a whole lot because then I could skip this whole dumb story, but I can't. And um, I mean, I, what happened was I, I stole less and it bothered me more. That's the truth. I took stuff less often and it bothered me more when I did it, but I didn't stop doing it. And, uh, and it became sort of this barometer of my uh, spiritual and emotional health. And, um, and then if you're not real careful and you stay sober, you'll just accidentally start sharing about stuff because I can't shut my pie hole and just say I'd like to listen in a meeting. And so stuff just starts flying out my mouth. And, um, and I'm in this meeting about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And I say, you know, I sometimes I just put stuff in my purse, doesn't belong to me. And I like I'm not sharing it hope. I'm just telling like the truth. And I'm mortified that I've said it. But afterwards, four different people run up to me after the meeting, like that was so awesome. And I'm like, I kind of want to die, right? I cannot believe I just said that. And then this newcomer. We're, we'll call her Twitchy, comes walking up and she goes, hey, I steal stuff too. And I'm like, I bet you do. And uh, so she wants to talk a lot about stealing. And I think she's looking for pointers. I mean, it's not that she wants to quit. That's the thing. She doesn't want to quit. She just doesn't want to walk around with the dang secret. And so I become her stealing sponsor. And so she's calling me all the time about how she pocketed a Red Bull or how she, you know, whatever. And I, she just would love it. She loved to see me at the meeting because she'd go, hey, guess what? I've never paid for Burt's bees. And she pulls out, you know, six of them out of her pocket for, with her. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. How did we get together? So I know you're going to find this shocking, but I start being Twitchy's real sponsor and we start doing steps and and uh, and she's calling to confess her crimes and I'm telling her what we're going to do to make it right. And um and I'm not, you know, I'm getting better. But again, I can't say that I've never taken anything done belong to me because that's not true. And so we we go to this little conference together because she used to travel with me quite a bit. And uh, we're driving back across Texas. And I knew this really cool little store where they had, you know, stuff that you don't need. And um, I love stuff that you don't need. Just little knickknack stuff and so she's in wandering around the knickknack store I have to go to the bathroom in the bathroom they've got this stuff called poopery I don't know if you know about poopery but it is a magical creation that saves many many marriages and um and I love me some poopery but it's expensive and uh so I go into this bathroom in the store and they have this gigantic bottle of poopery in this bathroom and it's a tester it says tester on it and it says do not steal this or you'll have loose bowels or some kind of poop related joke on this sticker that they have put on the giant tester but I, I i don't think i can say this enough it's a tester and so in my mind a tester is not actually stealing I mean, I don't believe this enough to call my sponsor and say, hey, is it okay if I take the tester? But it's enough for me to feel like I can drop it in my giant purse and walk out, which is what I do. 
And then I go wander around the store looking for Twitchy and Twitchy and I meet up and we're not going to buy anything because we're kind of poor. And um, and so we're on the way out of the store and neither one of us saw those little metal things on the way up and, and it goes beep, 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 beep. And we look at each other and we start walking real fast and we just make a beeline to the car. And me and Twitchy are pretty big talkers. Um, only for about 45 minutes, there is utter silence in that car. And uh, and I go kind of digging around in my purse and I discover that under the funny sticker that they had put on the tester was a sensor. And um, so finally I break first because I'm the one with the most sobriety. And so I say, hey, uh, did do you know why that thing at the store went beep, 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 beep? And she said, uh-huh. And I said, oh, really? And I reached down in my bag and I pull out my giant bottle of poopery, which I'm now referring to as my giant bottle because that's how my brain works. Um, and, and she goes, shut up. And y'all, I swear on my big book, this is a true story. She pulls the car off the road, puts on the hazard, goes into her bag and pulls out a brand new package of, wait for it, poopery. And while this is an utterly jacked up story, and I know it, it's kind of elegant that we both stole the exact same thing. I mean, God wasn't subtle with this. It was the exact same thing. Only I had more than 20 years of sobriety and she had less than five. I want to say it was somewhere between two and three years. And, um, and I realized driving home, even though we're laughing about it, and even though we both know we have to go back to Waco to make amends, I know that this is now affecting my usefulness because I can't talk to her about this behavior when I'm not willing for good and for all to let God have it. And so I hit a bottom. I hit a bottom with that behavior and I really became willing to ask God to remove it. And every time the thought comes, because it doesn't go away for good and for all. Every time I'm walking outside a grocery store and I see all those plants sitting out there, I'm like, what's to keep you from just grabbing two of those and walking to the car? And it's always a process where I have to go, oh yeah, integrity. I mean, like that's not my first thought. My first thought is free plants. I mean, that's just how I'm wired. Um. But I hit a bottom with that because it was it now it's objectionable to me. And now I want it removed. And now I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get it removed. Um, I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to talk to somebody. I'm willing to pause. I'm willing to walk around the store until I'm sure I can put it down before I walk out. I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I no longer want to be that woman. And I no longer want to act like, 
this thing that I think is cute and funny and fun is cute and funny and fun anymore because it's not. And here's how I know. I hit a bottom, but Twitchy didn't. And what I do not address always gets worse because I think I'm getting away with it. And um, and I'm not going to tell her story, but it got worse. It got worse and she put herself in a position where she could be locked up stone cold sober for a really big offense. Um, and that's my, I mean, I, I need to know that about me. You know, we think it's okay. Oh, it's just a little flirting. And then suddenly we wonder how we wound up stepping outside of our marriage. Just, it was just a little flirting. But see, I think I get it. I've gotten away with it. And maturity says there's no getting away with it. It's not whether you catch me. It's the me and God know. And I no longer want to live in a world where I've got those kinds of secrets. I just don't want to live with those kind of secrets and shame anymore. See, I've heard of guilt and shame linked up. Guilt's easy. Guilt is I did it. Now I got to fix it. Shame's not particularly useful. But I'm supposed to feel guilty when I act wrong. When I when I take something that I shouldn't have taken, when I say something that shouldn't have been said, when I lash out at somebody, when I'm behaving in a way that doesn't reflect the spiritual life and the spiritual tools that I've been given. But I got to grow up in public. And that's hard for a drunk like me because I am so, I don't think I've known until recently how tied up I am in some of these defects. It's my personality. She's quirky. She's fun. She's unfiltered. Until that hurts somebody. Until that humiliates somebody. Then it's not so cute or fun or funny. See, I, I think that I want God to take all my character defects. Well, except this one. And maybe that one. Because see, I like having a little control. I like being able to avoid reality. I, I, I want to procrastinate. Oh my gosh, I had to buy plane tickets today. And I, I, have this, I have this wonderful big life where I get to do super cool things. But I hate buying plane tickets. It, it stresses me out. And I'm always afraid I'm going to do it wrong. And it's a lot of money. And I and I procrastinate on it, and um, and I make a lot of other people very uncomfortable before I do it. See, my character defects—they don't just affect me; they affect the people around me. So I got to stop doing what I know is wrong, and then I have to walk through that in-between period. Then I get to pick up these spiritual tools. And all of a sudden, when I start picking up these tools, it's okay to admit I'm wrong. It's okay to make a mistake. It's all right to fall short. I learn a little something about humility. I get a little bit more compassion with you because I know my own struggles. You see, it's really funny because you know what a thief hates? Being stolen from 
You know what a liar just cannot tolerate? Being lied to. Can't stand it. Just cannot. Don't talk to me like I'm stupid. I'm not a sucker. I mean, I walk around with this kind of stuff going in my head all day long. And then I get to reverse engineer it. And I get to go, wait a minute. I don't lie because the other person isn't worthy of the truth. That's not why I lie. I lie because I care what you think. I lie because sometimes I feel like a little girl and I don't want to get caught. I lie because sometimes I'm really insecure and I'm ashamed. I lie because I want you to think better of me than I've earned. And if that's true of me, maybe that's true of you. And how would I want to be treated? You see, these character defects, as much as I cannot stand talking about them, they bring me closer to God and they make me more human with you. Because I'm no longer looking down at anybody. I have no right. I have no right. There's a reason why we walk shoulder to shoulder because none of us is better than anybody else. Some of us have a little more experience. It's funny, when I was new sober, it felt like the people with some time were so serene and so wise. And I can remember one of the old timers saying, I don't know if I'm serene or tired, but today, and we all laughed, and today, I still don't know. Like, am I serene or am I tired? I, I know I don't have the same kind of energy I used to have. And I and my memory is kind of shot. So I couldn't lie as much as I used to if I wanted to, because I can't keep my story straight. I mean, I can't keep them straight. So I'm my best bet is just to tell you the truth, even if it's awkward, because I'm not going to be able to keep it up. What I know about me is when I'm afraid I want control. And, uh, okay, I'll just tell that story and I think then I'll be done. Okay, so I was getting on a plane to fly somewhere. That's one of the things I get to do. And and uh, my husband called me in the middle of the day and um, and I don't answer it because I'm about to take off. And I text him back and I say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm about to take off. And he texts me back and he says, just thought you might want to know I lost my job today. And then my phone shut off and, and the plane took off. And uh, that was God doing for me because I think God knew that Jennifer could not pause. We had just turned in all the paperwork to buy our first home. Now it's we're buying my home from my mother. Well, we're buying half a home from it. It doesn't matter. We're buying a home. We're buying the home we live in. And um, But neither of us has ever owned a home before. And we have just filled out the paperwork. And I'm not making much money at all because I'm trying to start a new thing. And he's just lost his job. Of course. Of course, that's what happens. And that's what my brain does. But God says, how about you just sit with this for two hours on a plane before you talk to him? Because I am freaking out. And all that I'm going to share with him is all the fears and feelings. And so for two hours, I'm sitting there writing and praying and what are we going to do? And, and worst case scenario, I'm writing it all out. 
and um and and my husband has kind of struggled with finding a he was a chef for a really long time and he's no longer a chef anymore and transitioning out of that kind of work has been really difficult for him and so sometimes he doesn't have a job and sometimes he does and and it's not because he's not willing and um and I what I realized when I finally did the writing was this was his spiritual path and we, he may struggle with it for a really long time and that may affect me and that's okay I love him I'm not going anywhere but if this is his spiritual path and if this is a thing that he needs to work through with God then I need to get the heck out of his way and let him do whatever he needs to do see in theory that's a great plan in application that requires zip it zip it oh my gosh I've never done anything more difficult in my entire life in my entire life than zip it don't ask him how many resumes don't ask him if he'd like you to look over the resume don't ask him if he wants you to prep don't ask him if you you should do you have questions that you're going to ask do you know do you remember not to negotiate on salary because you always love all yourself it means zip it and then the unemployment doesn't come in and i'm not allowed to go hey have you called them because you you probably need to call them about that zip it and so i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm praying and i'm praying and i'm pacing the backyard and i'm Okay, okay. And months pass. I mean, he had one that I know of. He had one phone interview. And I'm like, are you sure you don't want to talk to the unemployment people? That's what I'm thinking. But what I'm saying, zip it. And I've got to pray. I've just got to pray. I've got to pray. Um, and he gets a call on an interview and he goes on the interview and he comes back and he's got a little smile on his face. And I say, hey. How'd it go? He said, I think it went pretty well. A little smile on his face. And I'm like, did you get the job? And he's like, I don't know. I'll know on Friday. Zip it. And I said, okay, cool. And he said, but you know what was really cool? I said, what? And he said, well, you know how they always ask if you have any questions? I never have any questions, but I think you're supposed to have questions. And so I Googled what questions you're supposed to ask in an interview. And I wrote them on a little index card and I put them in my pocket. And so when they got to that part of the interview where they said, do you have any questions? I pulled out that index card and they all smiled real big, like real big. And I found these questions on the Harvard Business School so they were really good questions. So I asked these questions and they were like, they'd never thought about this before. And they shared this stuff. And, and I mean, this interview went way longer than any interview I've ever been. Cause I don't know if you know this about my husband, but he don't talk much. He's like Mr. Monosyllabic. And so he had an hour and a half long interview with his questions. And um, they were supposed to call on Friday. 
And they called in less than 24 hours and they offered him a job and he got a $10,000 raise from his last job. And, um, and then um, unemployment said, oh yeah, we forgot to send you a bunch of money. So here you go. And they sent all the money that he didn't get before and, um, and the Kellys fell up. And um, which is what happens when I let God do what God does. And you want to know the worst part of this story? I get to take no credit for any of it. Not one teeny tiny bit. Um, and it's kind of beautiful. And it's kind of beautiful. And with that one little thing, I start looking at my sponsees going, you know, Maybe we just have them do a little reading and a little writing. Maybe we let them pray on it. Maybe we get out of their way and zip it and see what happens. See, I've never thought of that as a defect. I'm a helper. It's what I do. Except sometimes I get in God's way. And sometimes I make things that aren't about me about me. And growing up is being willing to say there is a time and a place and to ask God, is this the time and is this the place? I want to be useful to God and to my fellows. I want to help people get free. But most of all, I want to help them get closer to God. And so that's going to mean stepping back. And asking God to remove anything that stands in the way of my usefulness, anything, to the degree. You see, sometimes the defects bear witness. Some, they did. I mean, I, I often attract other girls because I'm talking about the things I struggle with. Sometimes my struggles are what bring those girls to me. But I've got to be recovering if I want to be useful to them. And that means surrender a little more each day. In Emotional Sobriety, Bill talks about hewing away what blocks us from being the person that God created us to be. And that's carving or surrendering. So the question that I want to leave you with is, what do I need to surrender to be who God created me to be? That's what six and seven are for me, is, is each day, Asking myself, what can I surrender today to become more of the woman that God created me to be so that I can be of more service to you? Not so I can be more comfortable. Uncomfortable is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Sometimes comfortable is. I'm glad to be here and it's a good day to be sober.